This week's episode of Trek Geeks is brought to you by Fansets, the place for amazing pin collectibles. You know, they have close to over 200 officially licensed Star Trek pins to choose from with new pins coming out every month. See all the pins and collectibles they have to offer at fansets.com and stay tuned for this week's special Trek Geeks discount code. Fansets, we are Star Trek. Hi, this is Kipley Brown, Lieutenant Barbara Smith on Star Trek Continues, course plotted for the biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant. It's the Trek Geeks podcast with Dan Davidson and Bill Smith. ancient pod fleet command probe somewhere in the galaxy it's the biggest little show this side of the alpha quadrant and the flagship of the trek geeks podcast network greetings everyone welcome to trek geeks it's so great to be here with you so great to be back um it's so great to be doing what we love to do which is talking about star trek and all the reasons why we love star trek and uh today we've got episode number 178 wow that's a big number and it's a number that ties kind of into tonight's discussion and um we're going to bring it to you shortly. And of course, by we, I do mean my co-host and I, you know, he hasn't lived a full lifetime in 48 minutes, but he sure looks like he did. Man, that's just not good. He's the aged and decrepit Dan Davidson. And Dan, um, you uh, might want to try some sunblock, buddy. Oh, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not you. No, it's not me. Thank you, Bill. It's it's great to be here. It's yeah, it's been it seems like it's been a long time since I sat in this chair and and joined you for a fun discussion. And uh, it's always good to be back. Episode one hundred and seventy eight. Do you know, Bill, that there were one hundred and seventy eight episodes of Star Trek: The Next Generation? <laughs> you didn't know that before fifteen minutes ago. I, I didn't. Well, I I probably knew it, but just forgot about it. But uh, yes, yeah, thank you for uh, doubt giving me that information so that I could share it with all of our listeners. Uh, it's great to be here. Uh, do you want to apologize? We were going to have Dayton Ward with us here this evening uh, to talk about his new novel. But um, coming home from Disney uh, last week, ran into a little bit of a problem uh, on the ride home. The flight was delayed four times. Uh, yeah. So uh, we got home at around two in the morning. So uh, I checked with Dayton and he graciously was able to reschedule. So we're going to bring that discussion to everybody next week in episode 179. So instead of talking to Dayton with TNG stuff tonight, we're going to talk about one of the best episodes of TNG, in my opinion. And I think you think it's one of the best ones also. I absolutely do. You figure of the 178 episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation, this one is just about on everybody's top 10 list. Um, and it is the inner light. Um, mm. It is. Uh, what can you say about the inner light that hasn't been said? I don't know. We're going to try mm. uh, in this episode of Trek Geeks here this week. But Dan, in the meantime, why don't you tell everybody how they can tell us 
about their favorite TNG episodes. Absolutely. It is, uh, it's so easy to get in touch with us to tell us what you think about it. Uh, just head on over to trekgeeks.com slash contact, and you'll find a variety of ways to get in touch with either Bill or myself. You can leave us a voicemail. You can Skype chat us. You can fill out the contact form and type us out a personalized message. Or you can even click on that big, giant blue button on the right side of the website and leave us a message with your very own mellifluous voice using SpeakPipe. And hey, don't forget the place to be on Facebook these days is on the official Trek Geeks Facebook group, Camp Kittimer. Bring your Trek talk, your Trek picks, and your Trek love over to the site and join over 1,400 other friends to talk all things Trek. It is the place on social media where the Trek talk is positive with no bashing or gatekeeping allowed. Plus, if there are new announcements about the Trek Geeks podcast network, you're going to hear them first over there at Camp Kittimer before anyone else in the quadrant. To join the group, head on over to facebook.com slash groups slash Camp Kittimer and be ready to take part in a wonderful social experience. And as always, we want to thank our wonderful admins, Haley, Jackie, and Dan for the amazing job they do running the camp. But uh, Bill, it's very important um, that people remember that any comments or stuff that they might leave there anywhere might be used later on in some things. Some things. Mm. Speaking of some things, you just mm. mentioned uh, one of our admins, the lovely and talented Dan Garcia, and uh, people who subscribe to Trek Geeks got in their feed this week a special audio preview of Trek Geeks Game Night, USS Hathaway, which we're very excited about. Uh, if you listen to it, it's the the cast of Trek Geeks Game Night, the crew of the USS Hathaway, introducing themselves in character, which is really kind of fun. So it's the kind of thing we hope you listen to. Maybe you'll check out their adventures at uh, youtube.com slash Trek Geeks. You'll see the videos right there on the homepage of our YouTube channel. And uh, it's just, it's, it, it's great fun. It's just, it's, it's nerdery and fandom combined. And it's, it's a great crew that Dan's assembled there, Dan. It really is. They have a great time doing it. And rumor has it that possibly a fleet captain or an admiral of some kind might show up sometime. Just saying. Or a Commodore, maybe? A Commodore? I don't know what you are. I don't I'm know. I'm an, ad, I'm an admiral, so I outrank you, so let's get moving. What? <laughs> I, wow. It's going to be like that, is it? So no, in all seriousness, got, it's really fun. They have a great time. They've got three episodes up on YouTube now. Um, and it's just some fun gameplay. And, uh, and in between uh, the latest episode, you're going to hear some five-year mission songs, so that's even better. So um, so there's that. That That's they got that going for them. Which is nice. Nice. Yeah. Dan, it's time for the news from treknews.net. <laughs> Spanning the Alpha Quadrant. Dun, 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 dun. What? What? Dun, what is this? Dun, dun, oh, no, 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 no. Dun, back, dun. back the audio up. What's this? Dan, 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 Dan. Oh, you're misunderstanding it. Oh, am I? <laughs> am I? Let's try it again. Hold yeah, on. let's do that, uh, Mr. H. and Decrepit. <laughs> Okay, go. For all the news on all the Star Treks, yo. I hate you so much. It's treknews.net. Dan and Bill. So wait, I got a bill at the very end. Yeah, We got 47 Dans and one Bill. 
47 online at tracknews.net. You're just insufferable now that you're back from Disney. I don't know what to do with you. Um, Dan, first up this week, uh, CBS Upfronts took place. As you'll recall, that's where we tend to get lots of good Star Trek type announcements that the network makes every spring. And um, if you take a look at their upcoming schedule, something we've been waiting for was finally unveiled. Finally is right. You know, I, I actually called this a while ago with my wife, but unfortunately, I never said anything publicly, so nobody will believe that I did it. But we finally have a title for the upcoming Jean-Luc Picard series, and it is, wait for it, Bill, wait for it. I'm waiting. Star Trek Picard. The show will be debuting later this fall on CBS All Access here in the United States and elsewhere in other countries around the world, which we'll get to in just a minute. But, you know, for me, Bill, in all seriousness, this title is just what I was looking for. It's short. It's simple. It's sweet. It's to the point. Uh, I've seen people already complaining about the show and the title saying it's too simple. But to that, I have to say, uh, I don't know, Voyager, Enterprise, Discovery seems right in line with shows I've uh, seen recently and in the past. So I'm ecstatic about it. What about you, man? I, I think it's fantastic. I mean, this one is a, is a character study. It's, it's not about the, the crew. It's not about the ship. It's not about the mission per se. It's about the man and where he is now. And I, I think it's, I think it's the perfect title. Plus, I mean, uh, we're all going to call it the Picard show anyway. Right. And more importantly, it's Patrick Stewart back as Jean-Luc Picard. Um, who cares what the title is? Exactly. Thank you. It's, it's going to be awesome. But uh, the nice thing here is that uh, this finally allows us now to finalize the name for our live podcast right. hosted by the one and only Mr. Barry DeFord coming up later this year. And it will be called Trek Geeks Picard Live. And it's going to be uh, direct to uh, YouTube and Facebook at the same time, a live reaction show. And, uh, and Barry's going to take it and run with it. And he's already, I, I'm sure you believe this, Dan, he is already fast and furiously planning this show. And he is so jazzed. He absolutely is. I mean, I think it was warp speed that, um, he was sending us messages the day that CBS upfronts was on and the title was released. And that first image came out, um, it's going to be fantastic. We're very excited to have Barry on the network to to do this live show. It's a first for us. It's a first for him and doing live show. So uh, it should be pretty cool. I'm very excited. And I'll tell you what, it's, it's what, 70-ish days until Vegas. So that means probably 80 or 90 days until the show launches. And I already am like tapping my finger, waiting for it to get here. Well, the initial rumor is December, so it's going to be longer oh, it's even than longer? that. Oh, yeah. So um, oh. you've probably got closer to um, uh, seven, six and a half, seven months, possibly. So, All right. well, that's but gone. that's not confirmed. Who knows at this point? Okay, no, get on that. Let's get. Yeah. yeah. So that's a uh, Trek Geeks Picard live coming to you later this fall. Of course, we'll keep you abreast of everything that's going on with that brand new show on the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. Also, Dan, just a moment ago, you mentioned for people outside of the United States, Sir Patrick Stewart had a video message regarding the upcoming series. Uh, indeed, he did. For those of you not in the United States, you will not be watching Star Trek Picard on Netflix, as you have done with Star Trek Discovery. No, instead, you're going to be watching it on Amazon Prime, which I found rather interesting. As with DSC, episodes of the new series will be available about 24 hours after they air on CBS All Access in the USA. Uh, so people have that to look forward to 
which is nice. Actually, that's twice we've used that phrase in this week's episode so far. Huh, that's pretty good. Um, it is. Let's let's try not to do that a third time. Yeah, the first time was was not scripted. This one was. But as we already know, production of the series started last month. Uh, and according to our pals over at treknews.net, it's expected it's expected to wrap up in mid-September. So they're really kind of moving along at warp speed for this season one. And uh, I'm I can't wait. I'm looking forward to the first teaser, uh, the first little spot of music, anything. It's going to be great. It's going to be like Discovery a few years ago before it started. Well, we know the goal to at least have Star Trek on every week of the year in some form. And uh, I endorse that goal because I just want more Trek in my life. <laughs> you know, I um, yeah, I understand that some people are upset that uh, it's not going to be on Netflix internationally. I understand. Um, you know, that's what happened when a bidding war occurs. Mm-hmm. I mean, Amazon outbid netflix for the rights to broadcast this and because i'm i'm sure of sir patrick stewart's involvement so uh it's is it unfortunate that it's not on one platform yes i understand why Uh, but i'm just psyched that we're getting patrick stewart back and and i i'd like to add on to that just a little bit i find it hysterical and somewhat sad at the same time that when this was announced of course the naysayers because they're already out there the show hasn't even started are saying oh yeah see netflix didn't even want it so Amazon picked it up. No, people, get get a Spock's brain in your head. It's because they were bidding more for it because they know it's going to be such a big hit. That's my take on it. I'm sticking with that. And I think you agree with me, Bill. I do. And finally, Dan, as, uh, as we record this week's episode, it's only been a few days since you and I went to a local movie theater after work to finally see the Deep Space Nine documentary, What We Left Behind. And to say it didn't disappoint, is just a vast understatement, isn't it? A vast understatement. It was phenomenal. It was so great seeing all of these people all back together for a wonderful discussion about what it was like on those sets of Deep Space Nine all those years ago. There were great interviews, great humor, amazing HD effects that they've been promising us for a while. Um, and I'll tell you, man, an opening story for season eight that just blew our socks off. It was a magical evening, and I am. I am so proud to be a supporter of their Indiegogo campaign and to have been at this special event. It truly was worth the wait. And uh, Ira, Kai, and everyone involved should be immensely proud of themselves for all the work they put in so we could see this amazing, amazing documentary film. Well, and there's one character whose socks it blew off completely. Wow. Boom, boom. Wow, too soon. No spoilers. No None. spoilers for our uh, our friends in the in the uh, in Europe who who won't see it just yet. So, right. um I, I'm very psyched. It was, it, it was everything I hoped it would be. It uh, it was a great look back at Deep Space Nine. It, you know, it immediately made me want to go out and rewatch Deep Space Nine again. And that's I, not. There's nothing wrong with that. No, I, I think that's the highest testament. It was absolutely. It was such a wonderful look back, and it was, it, it was funny. It was sad. It was. It was everything you wanted. Plus, like you said, that HD footage. Oh my word. the unfortunate thing about that HD footage is now I want even more the entire series redone. And we know that it's just going to be so astronomically expensive. It's never going to happen. So I guess I'll take what I could get because it looked, it looked glorious. Dan, once again, we draw an eye to talk about our very dear friends at Fansets and all of the awesome pins they have available over at fansets.com. 
I mean, seriously, you've got to head over to their site, check out the amazing selection of pins they have to offer. And I mean, they have so many different genres to choose from with hundreds and hundreds of pins. Seriously, take my word for it. There is a huge amount of pins to adorn your walls, office cubes, lanyards, or even Dan's face if you're so inclined to cover it up with something far more attractive. Yeah, that's funny. Oh, it is. I know. That's that's great. Ha ha. (laughs) uh, You know, Bill, here we are more than halfway through the month of May. So everyone now has the ability to grab May's newest Trek pins, the wonderful K7 Space Station and Deep Space Nine's own Julian Bashir. Uh, and it would behoove you all to head on over to fansets.com to check them out and put them in your cart. And now that May's two pins have been released, it is my honor and privilege to announce to the world the two new pins that will be coming out for the month of June from Fansets. On June 1st, one Mr. Jake Cisco will be available to add to your collection. And Bill, I got to tell you, I have a call into Lou and John at Fansets to see if this will come with a special uniform pin version with a piece of Lou's couch or some bus seat upholstery, <laughs> um, because that's what Jake always wore. Um, and then again on uh, June 15th, uh, we will travel down that long road to get to Enterprise's own Malcolm Reed. Nice. Nice. Very nice. Two new pins from two versions of Star Trek. So how can you go wrong, buddy? Uh, you absolutely can't. I mean, it's more fansets pins and more Star Trek. Uh, I'm psyched they're finally doing the Jake pin. I, I hope that uh, Sirach Lofton gets his hands on that in Vegas uh, in just under 70 days. Woohoo! Uh, and of course, as always, as a special bonus to Trek Geeks listeners, if you would like to receive 15% off your entire order at fansets.com this week, even if you order non-Star Trek stuff, I mean, anything on their site, this code works for it all. Simply enter the word PICARD at checkout, all caps, no spaces. That's P-I-C-A-R-D. And this bonus code is going to be available until Tuesday, May 28th, 2019 at midnight Eastern Daylight Time. Fansets. We are Star Trek, and we thank our friends at Fansets for sponsoring this week's episode. Dan, Bill, you know, we, we mentioned earlier that TNG had 178 episodes in its run, a uh, hugely successful series. And probably one of the episodes that people talk about the most is this particular episode today, the inner light. Um, it, it's one that, that immediately makes people just go or make the following noise. Ah, oh. ah. <sighs> Yeah, like what? What a fantastic episode! What a thing for Picard to go through all of it, and it's all with one motion because we love it and it, it's gut wrenching all at the same time. It absolutely is. It's it's one that I have loved from the very first time it, it aired, and as a matter of fact, um, Trek Geeks episode ninety seven, we had our good friend Jim Morehouse on the show, and and we talked about our top ten TNG episodes, and my number one was the Inner Light. Uh, it is my favorite TNG episode. Uh, it's something that I I will always stop and watch if it's if it's on TV, and and it's always one that will make me cry like a fool uh, when it's when it's on because it just has so much meaning for me. So I, I I love the episode. There's so many great things to talk about it, and I'm really glad that we're dedicating an entire episode of the podcast to discuss it. 
you know, I recall watching this episode when it first premiered and, you know, I, I used to, I used to have to watch Star Trek out of my parents' sun porch because my parents didn't watch Star Trek. Mm-hmm. I mean, at the time I was in my early twenties, I believe, um, I'm trying to remember exactly when this episode aired. That was 1992. So yeah, I was like a 22, almost 23. And I just remember leaving my parents' sun porch after watching this episode a mess. <laughs> you know, th- this episode hit me at that age in a way I just couldn't have imagined. And that was just something we weren't used to getting in Star Trek up until that time. Right. We're used to the adventure. You know, we're used to some of the situations our characters are put in. We've seen Picard stretch a little bit in episodes like Family. But this was something that, you know, really just, well, it, it, it's the kind of experience you imagine that you imagine that changes Picard um, in, in a way no other situation could. No, I've always, I've always said that there are a couple of very distinct things that happen in Picard's life that change him like none other. Of course, being assimilated by the Borg was the first thing. His return home after being assimilated by the Borg in family was the second thing. And him living this life was the third and possibly the most important thing. He's never the same after each one of these incidents that take place. But for me, this is the one that really shows that change from here on through the end of the series. And even in the movies is that experience that he had because he never had gotten to experience it. And I think it's something he always wished he had. He finally got to do it. He had a family, he had a wife, he had kids and it changed him forever. Well, the most interesting thing is to me, you know, when he first finds himself you know, in this, in this life for want of a better word, because he's, he's not really on the planet per se. Um, when he first finds himself as, as Cayman, you know, he's first thinking it's a holodeck representation. And first, maybe he thinks he's been transported there against his will. And he's still very much trying to assert himself as Jean-Luc Picard. And then you see a short time later, he's pretty much resigned himself to the fact that he is Cayman and that he's been sick. And, and this is the life that, that he's, been meant to lead. Mm -hmm. And it's really kind of a fascinating transition because you see him going from the very straight laced and proper Picard and slowly transitioning into this husband and family man who, who loves those people dearly, but yet very much wants to save his people. And the physical transformation is so subtle with Patrick Stewart. That's one of the reasons why I love this performance of his, Mm -hmm. but it is so profound at the same time. Yeah, the first time that we see a change in time, it's actually been five years. And he went through the, you know, asking, you know, computer and program and and kind of barking at a lean and going off up into the hills. And then it's five years later, he's still telling the stories of when he was, quote, Picard. And his wife has, has been patient, as she says. But you can see that it's still part of his of his everyday being trying to f- figure out what happened, but there are those subtle changes. His hair's a little longer. Uh, he's got a few crow's feet uh, uh, near his eyes. And then every iteration after that, it's, I think it's much more pronounced, but subtle at the same time, if that makes any sense. Um, but I, I, I just think it's great. And, and Picard, you know, physically with the makeup, we see it, but we also hear it in his voice and we physically see it in his movements and mannerisms. And it was a, it was a fantastic job by Patrick. Well, and one of the things that makes this episode so believable and why it, it resonates with so many is, is the absolutely believable relationship between 
um, Cayman and Eileen. Yes. You know, they seem like they belong together. They seem like they've always belonged together. Mm-hmm. You know, we know that that's Jean-Luc Picard and not necessarily Cayman, but he knows her, he understands her and, and she, him. And it, it creates probably one of Jean-Luc Picard's most healthy relationships. Um, and probably the longest one he ever has, even though he only has it in the, the span of, you know, less than an hour. And that's, that's really kind of mind blowing that he's left with that. The other one that the, the relationship he has with lean, of course, is fantastic. And the chemistry between the two of them is really, really great. But his friendship with Bataille, I thought was something that really resonated with me. And I'm not going to, I'm not trying to be funny when I say this, it kind of reminded me of you and I a little bit. Um, sure. And, 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 and that's one of the reasons why this episode has such a strong, um, uh, res- resonation with me, if that's the right word, I don't want to be too, uh, precipitateness or anything like that, but, uh, <laughs> uh <laughs> um, uh, th- there's, there's so many different aspects of a Picard that we've never seen before that's thrown together in this lifetime that only takes 25 minutes in his head that it really is kind of hard to to digest and to unpack and digest the first time we're seeing it. So that's why that's another reason why I love watching it over and over again is because every time you see it, it's like it's like anything that you watch a lot of times. You'll always catch new things that you missed the last time. And I think that this is a great Picard episode to do that with. You know, it's interesting when in Act Three, when uh, they have the naming ceremony for their second child. And they decided to name him Bataille for their late friend who had passed the year before. I was totally devastated, mm-hmm. you know, because obviously many years have gone by now. It's approximately 10, I believe. And this was a relationship that meant something to Cayman. And, you know, all of a sudden this friend is gone and he doesn't have that in his life. I mean, granted, he he gets the tribute by by naming his son Bataille, but but you missed that interaction with his, his dear friend. And that was something that, that touched me a great deal. Even then in, in, in 1992, I, um, it, it made me wish that he had had, you know, Bataille around longer. Yeah. It, that part ties to one of the things that's most um, emotional for me in this episode is that return of Bataille. He's the first thing that old Picard sees from his quote unquote past. He hears his voice and he turns and young Bataille is sitting there on the steps. That is a punch in the stomach for me. Every time we, every time I watch that and I'll tell you soon, I watched this an hour before we came on to record this tonight and I was sobbing at different scenes. And that was one of them. Every time I watch this episode, there's parts that just make me weep. And that's one of them because he sees his best friend who's been long dead. And then he turns to the other side of him and there's his wife young again. I mean, it's just, it's just so, it's so awesome. I'm going to start crying now. That's interesting. <laughs> well, I mean, let, let's unpack that for a bit because you know you mentioned that you watched it, you were, you were bawling. I've watched it twice and I don't have the same reaction I do now that I did then, or that you have at this phase, I was not as emotionally moved by it as I was the first time I saw it. And that kind of perplexes me a bit because it absolutely is an emotional story. Uh, It absolutely is a story that's, that's incredibly well told. Like we said, it's one of the best of TNG, but it just, I, it's really odd to me that it just doesn't reach that place. And I'm not quite sure why. Yeah. I I know why it, it reaches that place with me. Um, 
I'll tell you what we were watching tonight. Sue and I were watching while we were eating dinner and I was, she was sitting to the, to the kind of in front and to the right of me. So she didn't see me because we the way the TV is in our living room and the scene where he's talking to Maribor and says, seize the time Maribor live now the, one of the D line of the episode uh, now will never come again. I was trying not to, to make noise as I was eating and crying at the same time when that part was on. And she just happened to look at me and I was like in the middle of a half chew. And I was like, <laughs> it was hysterical. And, and I just, <laughs> I, I kind of broke out. This episode makes me cry. And after, um, after that moment, we pause it for a second. She goes, you know, I don't, I, I don't think I have the emotional connection to this because it's not real. And I said, well, that's one of the reasons exactly why I have such an emotional attachment to it. Picard has, is is isolated as captain. He's not supposed to, and he's not allowed to, per se, have these relationships. We saw it with Kirk. He was the same way. He, he, you know, he always longed for that. And Picard got to live this, whether or not it was in his head, or if it was real, or whatever. Because we'll get to the technology part later on. This was something that he's always longed for, and we got to watch him live it. And he felt it as real as anything else. And that was very, very important to me. And the other reason why this episode is so important to me is that line that I just referenced. Make now always the most precious time. Now will never come again. Those two sentences, in addition to everything with Deep Space Nine, those two sentences are now like the thing that I always say after going through what I went through back in 2000. It's very, very, those, those sentences really resonate with me. So when that scene comes on, forget it. I'm done. Toast. <laughs> See, now I want toast. <laughs> Are you feeling okay? <laughs> <laughs> See, I, I can appreciate that on some level. I mean, it's, uh, it's, I, I've always found the end of the episode more poignant than I necessarily have the, um, the middle or anything like that, because, you know, there's the end where, you know, Riker says, you know, they're able to, to bring the, the, the probe in mm-hmm. and, you know, they've got it and they opened it and all that was inside was, was this box. Right. And Riker hands it to him and Picard opens it. And the look that washes over Picard is just, it's an entire lifetime of looks. The way he grips that. Flute. Well, that oh, that, that's exactly what I was going to next. Oh. He picks the flute up and he grips it with two hands and he holds it to his heart. And you can see in his eyes everything he left behind, you know, when that probe let go of him, mm-hmm. you know, you could see that lifetime he lived on his face and then he starts to play it. And the camera does a really nice swing around him to the backside, to the other side while he's playing. And, you know, the enterprise warps off while the music is still occurring. And it's, it's one of the most cinematic uh, aspects of TNG in, in the episode. It is shot so beautifully. It is it's lit exceptionally well, and I, I I can't say enough about Patrick Stewart in that scene. But that one moment where he takes that flute and he's holding it to his chest to me is the entire episode. It really is. You, we we've talked on the show many times about how important music is in the in the in Star Trek and how it, it's its own character at times. You remember when we went to the Star Trek concert with our wives years ago? I do. And that girl came out with that flute and played the theme from the Inner Light. 
I was a basket case. That's what this episode does to me. It's got so many things that pull up my heart, the music being one of them. And you can't help but think whenever that music is playing, if I'm listening to it on my headset or if we're seeing it in concert, I see Picard in his darkened quarters holding it to his chest and then starting to play that song. You're absolutely right. The entire episode's meaning is wrapped up in that 15 seconds of when he looks at that flute for the first time. And it's not even so much the playing of the flute. Um, it's, it's the fact that there's that recognition of what it is Mm -hmm. and that the flute was real. Yeah. You know, that, that tells us that there was a Cayman, you know, there likely was an Aline. There likely was a Maribor and a Bataille and he lived that life. This is, this is where the trying to wrap my head around the episode just completely goes off the rails because, when he's living that life, it's a thousand years ago. They don't have technology enough to even barely launch a missile before old Picard would die of old age. But yet the technology in that probe is enough to have some kind of beam that hits him a thousand years in the future that lets him live that entire life. So I'm already starting to go crazy just thinking about it. It's it's brilliant science fiction writing, which has a deep emotional resonation in it as well. You know, it's the music we've talked oftentimes in, in other movies and other episodes, how the music is its own character and really hats off to Jay Chataway for everything in this episode, because it accentuates everything perfectly. And it creates a moment in Picard's life musically that will never be forgotten. In fact, I mean, it comes back again in the episode lessons. Yes. Uh, the following season, I believe, mm-hmm. but that, that theme, like you mentioned, is instantly recognizable to Star Trek fans everywhere. Yes, absolutely is. Um, I, I, I also got to throw a huge um, amount of props to to Margot Rose, who played Aline. Yeah. Um, we see her later on in Deep Space Nine, but this episode is fantastic for her. And I'll tell you, one of the, the other scene that really, really gets to me because – it, it just, you know, you see a couple that's, that spends their whole lives together. Her last words to him are so perfect. It's so perfect for the relationship that we see only for a short time. Put your shoes away. I mean, that's oh. just, that's just another stab right to the heart. And that's what this episode does so well is it really knows what emotional strings to pull to really get you deeper into what's going on in the episode. And that's another great example of how they're able to pull that off with, with Aline's death. It's also really great to see Patrick's real life son, Daniel in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, he does a fantastic job as older Bataille, sorry, older Bataille two, <laughs> the, the sequel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and it's interesting. I'm looking at memory alpha real quick. And apparently Patrick Stewart had the earliest makeup call of any actor in the history of Star Trek. His makeup call on Monday was 1 AM and his set call was 7 AM. Wow. So he left his house around midnight and knowing how long those days on TNG used to go, yeah. I'm amazed he even went home. Yeah. That's what the 16 hour filming days was not uh, out of the norm uh, on TNG or, you know, we also heard that on deep space and at the, um, at the uh, documentary the other day, but yeah, that's a long time. So maybe he wouldn't have needed the makeup uh, because he was so tired. He would have looked that way anyway. It's <laughs> interesting. Patrick Stewart, Sir Patrick Stewart cites this episode as the greatest acting challenge he ever faced in the seven years of next gen. Hmm. Um, and, uh, yes, 
I, yeah. I couldn't agree more because it's well, like everything Sir Patrick does, it is fabulously flawless. You know, he, he puts everything into everything he does, but there are certain times where he really turns it up a notch. And this is definitely one of those times, you know, next gen, many times toward you know later seasons would become self-referential and that it would refer to previous occurrences. And it didn't always happen that way. You know, the first three seasons, the show kind of had amnesia for, for a lot of things. Mm-hmm. It remembered Tasha dying and some other things, but by and large, some of these developments didn't stay with the character long-term, although this is one that truly did. Um, and, and I think that it, it, it really helped shape the Picard we saw in a film like insurrection. You know, I think that that sort of more reserved Picard who had an appreciation for the things outside of a life in Starfleet who really hoped to find the perfect moment, if you will, in insurrection. I I feel like the Picard of season two, three, four, five, early five of next generation wouldn't have might not have had that same appreciation as the, Picard sort of post the inner light. Interesting. That's a good way to look at it. Um, I've never really given that a whole lot of thought, but I will say um, kind of tied to what you were saying, you brought up insurrection and to me, his, he was, he was much more reserved dealing with the relationship uh, with Anish in that. And I got to say in lessons, I'm, I'm, I'm blanking on the character name of, of the girl in that one right now. Nella Darren. Darren. I'm sorry. The the chemistry just wasn't there for me when I look back at the inner light and look at the chemistry between Aline and Cayman slash Picard. Um, I don't know about you. Um, and of course, you know, not to go off on a tangent, but in lessons, it's not really Patrick Stewart playing the flute. You can tell that that's superimposed when he's playing it. So it just looks fake. But as that whole episode, the, the relationship bond wasn't there like it was in in a light and it wasn't there in insurrection with the niche. I didn't think I was more team Anish than I was, uh, necessarily team Darren, but I'll go, oh, team, me too. I'll go team Darren over team Vosh any day. Oh gosh. I didn't even put Vosh in the equation. <laughs> Jim, <laughs> Jim Morehouse's head is exploding right now. <laughs> what, what are you talking about? <laughs> but yeah, it's it, what we've seen through, you know, the evolution of Picard after this episode mm-hmm. is a character that, that looks forward as an explorer, but also tends to do, I think a little more introspection. I think it gives us a more well-rounded Picard after this, because like we said, this, this experience changes him, you know, immeasurably, you know, I I can't imagine going through something like this. I mean, it's hard enough to live the lives that we lead every day as humans, let alone going through the lifetime of somebody else and then waking up to find out, Hey, wait a second. That wasn't real. Yeah. But was it? I, I mean, that's the thing that I, just, I can't wrap my head around. Uh, and he goes through the rest of his life, I'm sure. I'm, it'd be great to see some kind of reference to it in the new show, whether that would happen or not. I have no idea. But it forever has changed him. He was different even with the way he was around Beverly after this episode. Um, yeah. So it, it, it really it, – it, is, it, is it too far crazy to say that this affected him much more than being assimilated? Because I think possibly it does. I think whereas the assimilation broke him mm-hmm. as a human being and taught him that he wasn't um, unconquerable of sorts, I, th- I think this one showed him what he had missed, yeah. possibly. 
Mm. Um, I, I think that's why you, you, you get the, the horrific Christmas scene in generations, which is terrible. <laughs> yeah. Cause that, that's Picard's nexus, right? I mean, yeah. you know, other people, you know, Kirk went to Antonia and, and the horse ranch. Um, Picard went to a Victorian Christmas celebration with his family. Mm-hmm. That was his idea of perfection. And I think that I have to believe that on some level that was fueled by this experience. At least that that's what my head canon wants to say. Sure. And even though not canon, as you said, head canon, um, in the novels, and we're going to actually, uh, when we talk to Dayton Ward next week, um, Picard's married and has a child. And the child's name is Renee, named after his nephew. And he's married to Beverly. So, Beverly. Yeah, we saw it. I mean, it's not really a spoiler to say that because it's not just in this book that we find that out. It's been in several of the books because they all kind of tie in together a little bit. But he's now a family man, which he never thought he would be able to do while he was captain of the Enterprise. And I think this experience of the Inner Light showed him that he could have both. And I think that that's another wonderful um, consequence of this episode. Let's talk about the really sort of the the probe. You know, it's, it's not really the antagonist of this episode. It's the mystery they have to solve. And you think about the lifetime he lives was brought to him in this probe that served as a a remembrance of this society and these people who ultimately all perished, um, because they essentially baked to death, right? You know, um, because of, uh, of their son and, and their system essentially made their planet uninhabitable. And unfortunately they all perished as a result. But when you think about it in that context, the fact that they said, well, you know, there's nothing we can do. We can't really get anybody off this planet. What do we have left? Our stories, our memories. Sorry. So we have to take that and launch that into space so that somewhere somebody can remember us. In, in some ways, it's kind of like a science fiction version of those time capsules that get sent out into rockets where people put like memories or, or even ones that they bury in the ground to be found 100 years later. Um, that's this way, science fiction's way of doing something like that. But it's still, I can't wrap my head around it. It's a ceramic probe. The probe has ceramic in it. That's how it's made because they're so non-technologically advanced, yet they had the technology to do what they did to get this beam to to get into Picard's head and have him live the life. It's, it's mind warping. It really is because they couldn't save themselves, but all they could do was save their memories. Yeah. And there's something so, so solemn and so hollow about that. But beautiful too. But uh, absolutely beautiful, you know, because, because Picard had this experience, these people and that society and that race of people will always be remembered. Mm Mm-hmm. And it makes me wonder, I mean, you know, because obviously we see this through Picard's eyes to some extent, this is his experience living this life. It makes me wonder, do these people really look like humans or is that just the way Picard saw them because it was his experience processed through his brain? I've never thought of that before. Yeah. We've always, I've, I actually was thinking of, of this during the episode, which kind of is similar. They all spoke English. They never use universal translator but they all spoke English. That's a very, very good observation of whether or not they were even humanoid. I mean, they could have been, who knows? Um, but that's, I've never thought of that before, man. That's kind of cool. And honestly, I had never thought of it before this, you know, I'm sitting here looking at a picture of Cayman's family at the end of the, the probe simulation mm-hmm. for want of a better word. And 
you know, there's, there's his older son, there's his wife, there's his daughter, there's his, his grandchild. And it's like, did those people even look like that? Yeah. You know, or, and if not, um, how was it that Picard's mind created that look? I, I just, it, it's the kind of thing that fascinates me now to look back. It's, and plus I think it's really cool to be able to come up with these things from Star Trek now, almost 30 years after this episode aired. That's a, a let me ask you this. I mean, we have different emotional ties to the episode, but you've seen it recently. Yeah. I've seen it recently. Let's do a little mission log. Does this episode hold up? I think it holds up perfectly. I think that if it doesn't hold up, none of Star Trek The Next Generation yeah. holds up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this one has to hold up simply just because it is... It, I hate using this phrase because it's really the only way to describe it, but it's so Star Trek. It is. It absolutely is. It's. It's. And maybe that's one of the other reasons why I'm so tied to it. Is you can have a story where you know people fall in love and go with lizard babies, or you can have an episode like this, which really has meaning and makes you think and makes you wonder: Can we be any better and be like this? I mean, because Picard could have been. You know, when you think about it, he could have been completely against it the whole time he was there and never given in because he does kind of give in. Um, it's, it's a, it's a great, it's a great philosophical question, I think. Well, and it makes me ponder, you know, what if we were, um, Picard's family on Catan or, or, uh, I think that's the name of the planet. Um, mm -hmm. yep. it, what if, what if that were us? What if it was our planet and, you know, the ecological message in this, in this episode is clear. I mean, clearly we are that planet, but let's pretend for a second we're not that planet and say, what if we are, yeah. you know, what of ourselves would we want somebody to know in the future for some explorer that came around our planet? What message would we want to, to deliver to them and how would we do it? I mean, we can't come together on something as simple as, you know, what's going on with our planet. How are we going to come together to decide what we want a future race of aliens to, th to know about us. And isn't it kind of funny that the administrator kind of has the same attitude that we see our current leaders have they, ah, yeah. Okay. That's a great idea. We'll definitely bring that up. You know, you know bring it up. Uh, so <laughs> it, 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 even back then in the nineties, it all, it all seems oh so familiar, doesn't it? Sadly. Um, and it seems even familiar and current by today's standards. Like mm -hmm. I said, almost 30 years later, you know, there's always the government official that, that, you know, that just pays lip service. There's always the, the person who, who knows the problem and is trying to get people to believe it. And there's always everybody else. It's like, well, okay, well, Hey, we're going to go do this thing. <laughs> I, um, yeah. it's just everything about this episode works for me. Everything about this episode just looks fantastically gorgeous. Mm -hmm. Everything from the outdoor shots and Bronson Canyon to, you know, the, the interior set work as the episode progresses and it gets brighter and brighter yes, and yes. brighter to the point where toward the end, there's this very stark lighting. Yep. It just, it, it, the lighting also tells a story in addition to the music and the acting. It's just, uh, there's a reason why this is one of the, the top 10 TNG episodes and probably one of the top 10 Star Trek episodes of all right. time. And the tree. The tree is the symbol yeah. of the community during the entire episode. They plant it in the beginning, yep. you see it in the middle, and it's dead at the end. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's, it's brilliantly done. Uh, everything, music, cinematography, acting, it's all great. Like I said, I gave it number one 
uh, in my top 10 TNG. That has not changed. I still think of it as the best of the TNG episodes. I will always love it and it will always make me cry. Well, I, I think that's fantastic. You know, it's funny you brought up the tree. I never made that connection until you brought it up just now. No. Well, I'm happy to help. Cause I'm looking at that photo of his family, you know, again right now. And yeah, you're right. There's a dead tree right there in the center. Yeah. I'm like, Oh wow. Yeah, yeah. That thing is dead. Isn't it? Yep. They, they gave up their, everybody gave up their water rations, some of their water rations so that they could keep the tree alive and all during Picard's life, it was there and flourishing. And at the end, um, when uh, actually when um, when Aline is right before she passes away, when he's meeting with the administrator and they're both age, the trees is starting to look dead. And by the final scene, it's dead, dead. Wow. See, now I have to go back and watch it again because I just never picked up on that. There you go. Um, yeah. And oh, I guess I should have picked up on it because it said, uh, you know, at, at some point the process was going to be wiping out all plant life on the planet, essentially. Mm-hmm. And um Last I knew a tree was a plant. Last, yeah. See, you're you're a smart man. Yeah. You make things go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, some things. Like podcasts, and that's about it. That's it. Yeah, that's true. You can say that again. Yeah, I can say that again. So, uh, <laughs> so I mean, I don't know what I, – I, there's nothing bad about this episode. No, there really isn't. Um, everything, even even just the smallest things, like when they're when they're trying to sever the beam from Picard and he's dying, and they finally get the beam back. The relief on Beverly's face and throughout her whole body as she le- sits back on the floor of the bridge is another brilliant episode. The smallest things in this episode all have great meaning and are are wonderfully done even wharf Worf's ready to to destroy the thing because that's Worf's first thought all the time all of the things that take place in this episode are are expertly done in the eyes of star trek and what we expect to see with all of the characters i don't have a single flaw in this episode to be honest with you man Worf is always ready to destroy the thing <laughs> yes he is <laughs> no mr Worf. <laughs> yeah yeah i um i have to agree with you i you know, you can usually find one of a couple of things wrong. I mean, um, th- this episode is about as perfect as a Star Trek episode gets. Yeah, it's a, it's brilliant on all fronts. It is. Uh, this is the kind of episode you put on, you sit back, and you experience. You don't watch it. You sit back and you you experience it, and then you ask yourself if you're the same person afterward, because it really is kind of one of those gut check episodes of Star Trek. Um, I, I don't, I don't think Picard is the only one who winds up changed in this episode. I think the viewer is changed as well. I think it forces us to look at Picard in a different way. Um, much as Picard is forced to look at himself in a different way. That's a great way to look at it, man. Cause I've, I've never really thought of it like that, but you're absolutely right. I know I was, and I, and I'm sure there are, there are just countless other Star Trek fans out there that feel the same way. Well, Danny, you know what else has changed us? That is the music of Five Year Mission, our dear friends, the band, uh, without whom we just would have a musicless podcast. It'd be sad. It'd be sad geeks. That's what it would be. Yeah. But we're not. We are Trek geeks, and we are proud to have Five Year Mission's music on every single episode of this podcast because they let us do so. So we want everyone to head out to fiveyearmission.net, download all their albums, buy some CDs, you know, show the band some love and and uh, get all their music. That's all we're asking you to do because it's fantastic. And we guarantee that you're going to become a huge fan. Fiveyearmission.net. 
Love them. Year one, year two, year three, year four. That's, that's four of them. They're working on year five. Trouble with Tribbles. Spock's brain. Fark had a video of him drumming away today on Facebook. So check it out. It was awesome. You know, we sit here today, Bill, and, and we're talking about an amazing Picard-centric episode of The Next Generation. And we're also talking about news uh, about Star Trek Picard with the new series. So so I went and watched another episode that is pretty Picard-centric recently. And it's wonderful and it's fun and it's tense at the same time, man. You know, it's we both enjoy it. It's the one where the Enterprise has to be decontaminated by use of a barium sweep. And it turns out that there are some competing band members on board trying to steal some stuff so that they can sell it to a new music producer. And and things get things get a little hairy for Picard. And I don't mean that as a pun with the whole Mr. Mott situation. But uh, I think we've called it Die Hard in Space mm. in, on more than one occasion there, Mr. Smith. Uh, Mission uh, Log has done the same thing. Uh, okay. I, I am talking about, of course, Farkship Mine. Die Hard indeed. Yeah. Yippee-ki-yay, mother farker. That's all I got to say. Well, I'm done. Dropping the mic. Oh, Boom. Oh, you're done. All right. <laughs> Get out. No, get out! <laughs> I what is it with you? I it you know that it just it just flows like a river, baby. That's, uh, <laughs> that's, that's, and, and this is I think this is like two or three weeks in a row with multiple Farkisms in the same episode. This is beautiful. Life is grand. Do we ever get quality Farkisms? Because it's been four years and um, see, it's still not a one. Uh, I'll let the listeners decide. Uh, the listeners have decided. <laughs> you suck. <laughs> wow. Okay. I'll, I guess I'll start Smithisms next week then. Oh, those will, I'm sure, be just as oh, horrible. Oh, those will suck, that's for sure. Well, yeah, speaking of suck, that's Dan <laughs> Davidson, everybody. Uh, FiveYearMission.net, please go download all their albums. Uh, of course, don't forget, you can support the Trek Geeks Network of Podcasts by subscribing to bonus content via Patreon. Get access to exclusive content not available anywhere else. See the first of our annual supporters pins from fansets and even get raw, unedited audio of all of our podcasts, along with a whole bunch of other perks, Dan. whole bunch of other perks. And, you know, I got to say, uh, we want to take a moment to uh, thank our associate producers for Trek Geeks. We are very grateful for their support. And they include Adam Sanders, Brandon Everidge, Heather Sohn, John Krikorian, Rick Tatro, Trey Womack, Shane Murray, Sean Lynn, Tim Robertson, Tim Serdar, Vikram Bhatt, Greg Rozier, and the beautiful and gracious Andy Fark. He is beautiful and gracious, I do mm. have to admit. He of is. course, Dan, we also want to thank our Trek Geeks producers for their support. They are Ken Tripp, Casey Shafsky, Charlie Mulvey, Chris Trebuzio, Craig Ewing, Eric Extreme, Jackie and Chris Hackney, Lionel Marchand, Matt McGonigal, Mike Bovia, Harry Michelson, Patrick Escudero, Sean O'Halloran, Peter Craig, and the lovely and talented Scott Vashon. Nice. Uh, if you would like to become a producer on the network or even get access to the raw audio for Trek Geeks episodes, head on over to patreon.com slash trekgeeks today, where subscription levels start as low as a dollar a month. Wow. That's pretty mm, fantastic. That's, that's cheap. Dan, next week, we're going to be welcoming a wonderful guy. 
a good friend and a pretty damn good author back to the network. Yeah, absolutely. As we mentioned at the beginning of the show, we had to postpone this discussion. But uh, next week, we're very excited to welcome back uh, to the Trek Geeks Podcast Network, the New York Times best-selling author, Dayton Ward. I think he hates it when we say that as much as we do, but I love it. And I will continue to say it because he's an NYTBA, you know, so that's pretty cool. So we're going to have him on next week. We're going to talk available light and and discuss Trek novels in general. It's going to be fun. He is, he is hilarious on Facebook and Twitter, as I've said before. So uh, he's looking forward to the discussion. I think we're going to talk the uh, Star Trek strategic video game system that he has and uh, you hate that he has. Uh, It's going to be a fun time next week on uh, Trek Geeks, the flagship of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. You know, if you're going to make a joke about the game, you should at least learn the name of the game. I just didn't want to say years. the whole thing stretched out. You just don't even know the whole it's thing. The Trek Game Strategic Combat Simulator. Uh, no. Oh, I was wrong? Damn. <laughs> <laughs> of course, Dan, for more great Star Trek discussion, we want everyone to check out the Tricorder Transmissions online at thetricordertransmissions.com. So many podcasts. Oh, my Lots. word. Uh, yeah, and, and so many of them that are great to listen to. If you love Star Trek podcasts, guarantee they have something just for you. And of course, Dan, for all the news on all the Star Trek's yo, please visit our friends at treknews.net. For now, this has been episode 178 of the Trek Geeks podcast. We do hope you all live long and prosper. Remember, put your coconuts away. I didn't know they were out. Sorry. Music for Trek Geeks is provided by Five Year Mission. They are writing one song for each episode of the original series. Download their music at fiveyearmission.net. Trek Geeks, a Star Trek podcast, is a production of Coconut Media Works, executive producer Bill Smith. For even more Star Trek discussion, check out Discovering Trek, a Star Trek Discovery Companion, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and discoveringtrek.com. Bing bong! Bing bong! <laughs> Sorry, I was doodling. Oh, oh, that's nice. You're, <laughs> are you a doodler? Sometimes when I have to listen to your pedantic psycho babble, what? Oh, I nice. will. Uh, I like that. Thank you, thank you. Mm-hmm. That's the name of my new Dayton Ward cover band. Um, <laughs> I so, sometimes I, I have to just to to get through the the recording session because you're an idiot. What are you doodling? I just drew a Starfleet Delta. I do that all the time. That's it. Oh, look at that. Oh, actually, uh, it's off center, but that's okay. Off center of what? Oh, the star doesn't look right. It's a doodle. Well, idiot. Let, well, let me ask you this. Is it a TNG Delta or is it a TOS Delta? Because if it's a TNG Delta, you're not supposed to put the star in it. You know that, right? It's it's a TOS. <laughs> Wait. Sorry. <laughs> Don't I hang think, up. I think the whiskey's going to your head. Uh, just a little bit. I, it's it's been a while since we sat down and 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 had fun like this. Yeah, because you uh, had a weird schedule and yeah. you took a vacation. Yeah, and then your flight got kind of mixed up coming back. Oh yeah, we'll have a good time talking about that when we start the show. Yeah. Oh yeah, I can't wait to talk about that on a Star Trek podcast. That's yeah. great. Well, we got to talk about why we had to shift things around. So you know, Dude, just, I'm, I'm helping. I didn't clear this. Man. I didn't clear this. Uh, it's in the notes. Yeah, because you put that's, it there. You that's jerk. what happens for missing staff meetings, Doctor. I didn't miss any staff meetings. I don't have meetings with you because I can't take them. Because you can't. You have a problem with authority. (laughs) I don't recognize your authority. (laughs) 
<laughs> Very nice. See, look at that. We're 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 thinking. We got the, we're like the force is going on in one ear and out the other. I don't know. Like oh, that. everything with you goes in one ear and out the other. I assure you. <laughs> what? So I'm looking. Uh, I was cleaning off my desk the other day, hmm. and I found the ticket stub to the autograph I got from William Shatner in 2011 uh, for my first annual oh. trek out to STLV. Nice. Yeah. So this will be cool. my, my ninth consecutive this year. Wow. Yeah. And this was uh, when it was the first time I'd been to the Rio for the, the con. Okay. Um, and uh, that's when I had gotten the uh, the photo taken in Boston just a few weeks before. Yes. And my wife suggested I go to Vegas to get a sign. And this was, this is the ticket from. Look at that. From that. $90. Wow. That's pretty cheap considering nowadays. Well, it's, it's, it's right about a hundred now. So yeah. he has got up too much in well, nine years. Oh, well, he doesn't remember anyway. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it was $90 last time, mister. At least he's going to sign. At least he signed yours. William Shatner when he did it. <laughs> <laughs> now, for those of you who don't know the story, <laughs> we can't repeat the word here. Um, but so you got your photo with Bill Shatner yeah. a couple of years ago, you got it signed uh-huh. and he signed it. And the signature, if you look at it sideways, looks like a uh, a rather nasty word. A derogatory um, female anatomical area. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Yeah. A mm-hmm. word that you and I are not often fond of saying, but mm-hmm. uh, it, it almost looks like that plain as day. So um, the, uh, the Ferengi who works for the FCA, it kind of rhymes with that. I, I, I'm not even going there. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, anybody wants to see it, let send me a message on Facebook and I'll send you the picture. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if he was talking about me or himself. I think it was probably you. I'm pretty sure it was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yep, that's good. It kills me. Yeah. So but you had a good trip? I had a fantastic trip. The weather was great. We were on the 10th floor at Bay Lake Towers and uh, we were on the water side. So we had the whole view of the, uh, of the, of the water on on the backside of the contemporary. It was great. We had a good time, but I will say um, um, I actually tweeted to Disney negatively for maybe the first time because they are just overselling Disney vacation club and they're doing all kinds of specials to get, an exponential amount of people into the parks with no place to put them. They're not expanding the parks. They're only expanding the resorts that they stay at. So there's more and more people getting crammed in the same space. And May is technically one of the slowest months. Um, That's why we go in May and it was ridiculously busy. Luckily we've been a hundred times, so we don't really care. But for people that are there for the first time with a family, having to wait six hours in line for the newest avatar ride is absurd. Six hours. The Saturday we were there, the line was six hours long. That that there aren't even six hours worth of Avatar movies. No, I know. Well, not yet, but yeah, oh, there are going to be. Come on, <laughs> but yeah, and I feel bad for people that you know they haven't been and they want to hit everything and and they don't have the fast passes and stuff like that. You got to think it's over a hundred dollars per ticket if you don't want to park hop. So you're spending if you have a family four, you're spending over four hundred dollars to stand in line for eighty percent of your day. Wow. And that's absurd. Disney has to build another park or stop building resorts. They're opening like three new resorts this year. What? And they're what? all Disney vacation clubs and they're going to get all these people and they're going to cram them in these places. And it's just absurd. I can't even imagine that. I mean, I, I, I've been there before when it's been busy, but never, you know, like feeling like I needed elbow room. You, no elbow room. Um, one day working, walking down Main Street USA was fine. But the other day we were at Magic Kingdom. You can't even walk down the street. 
It's 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 ludicrous. And I'm not talking the singer. It's just crazy. I'm just I'm stunned. That's uh that, that's horrible. I mean, because it, like you said, it's it's not cheap to go to these things. Families spend a whole lot of money. No. And then you can't even really access the park the way you want to. Yeah. I mean, we like I said, we've been so many times. We go down just for the ambiance and the atmosphere. I love people watching down there. And we had we I think there was one or two lines that we stayed in not having fast passes. I love the Splash Mountain queue line, so I don't mind walking through that. And that was 75 minutes for us on uh, I forget what day it was. Wow. Uh, but yeah, it's it, I feel bad for the people that are there for the first time and have to sit there, especially if they have young kids that aren't going to last that long being patient. I can't even. Yeah. So, but oh, well, well speaking of uh, trying to be patient, are you, uh, you ready to do this? You jerk. Yeah, going back in December though, so you know. Yes, I'm ready. <laughs> of course you are. Of course you are. <laughs> yep, I'm ready, buddy. Because you can't help yourself. I we can't. It's, it's fantastic. Your face is fantastic. Thank you. I appreciate that. I lie a lot too. It's not as fantastic as yours or that that's, Star Trek chair behind you. That's hey. Do you know I have a Star Trek chair? I do now. I have it due to my uh, my fantastic parsipitedness. I like that. Your parsipitedness is wonderful. Thank you. Great job. All right, let's do this. Coconut!